welcome to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local culture. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Elise. And as always, recording here in Steel Pixel Studios. So, Elise, let's talk about what you did this week. Yeah, so I had started on a painting. It's kind of a a mimic stained glass uh, work, something I would probably originally do with watercolor painting, but I'm trying to do it with oils. So I'm not very happy with it right now, but we'll see how it goes. Nice. I'll let you you know next week. (laughs) (laughs) Have you put a lot of time into it already? Um, I did the underpainting, so not a ton of time, but I'm not sure how it's going to turn out with the oils. What did you work on this week? Yeah, so I'm working outside of my normal medium again. So I'm not doing photography like I was. I mean, I still am, but that's not what I was working on this week. I was actually painting. I found an old canvas sitting in the office that had a picture I didn't personally connect with. It was pretty low resolution and figured a canvas is canvas. I'm going to get a couple Kansas spray paint and go for it. So I did that and started with a white base coat and then started building up layering from there and got to thinking... I don't really know how to do this technique wise. (laughs) I don't know how to make clouds out of spray paint. I need some help. So went online and I looked up fine spray paint art techniques. And the first thing that came up was an interview with a guy named Tyrone Webb who talked about a bunch of different cool spray paint stuff. Oh, how strange. Right? (laughs) Why do you think that is? Well, I think it was just this week that I had sent you a message saying, hey, how would you like to have this guy from the Banana Factory, Tyrone Webb, on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) You're very right. You did send me that message. And he's our guest today. Elise, would you like to introduce him? Absolutely. Tyrone J. Webb II was born and raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He was schooled in computer science and project management. At the age of 24, he left Pennsylvania to work the next 14 years with IBM in Boulder, Colorado, far removed from a life within the arts. In 2012, he sought a way to counter the stresses of corporate citizenry and decided to make something with spray paint and poster board. The results couldn't be more transformative. When he was laid off by IBM in 2013, he decided to take on his dream. Today, he is a single father living back in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He is a visible member of the Lehigh Valley art community as a full-time artist working to create wondrous images of pure imagination through a medium of his own creation. His goal with his art is to change the perception of spray paint as a medium and at the same time bring more sci-fi and fantasy subjects into the mind of the community. With a strong social following ranging from celebrities to everyday folk, his client base is a full spectrum. He has been interviewed and awarded by several organizations, online and brick and mortar, over the past few years for his method and content, and to this day, strives to introduce as many as he can to this medium. Tyrone is available for commissions, gallery, and venue displays. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming in today. It's pretty cool to just get reached out to, you know, and hey, come and do this thing. Yeah. You not want to think it's coming from the... uh, having the show and stuff like that, but that's how it all works. It's one of those things where people don't know until they know. And then you start running into people and things start aligning. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We talked a little bit, uh, a little bit when you got here about how this was all, all very much fell into place, how we 
Ben found your work and then I had seen your work. And yeah, the better part about that was the fact that Ben found the work before even talking to you yeah. about it <laughs> and realizing that he had already talked to you about it. And like, ah, I was doing a how to video, right? How to on yeah. whatever, a look up on Google and yeah, found me. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And what it remind us, what's the phrase that you can, can Google to find your stuff right away? Fine spray paint art. F I N E. So how did you kind of adopt that, that name, that label for yourself and for your work? Well, there's a, a lot of spray paint art um, in general, right? It, everything from putting it on the walls as murals and putting it on your deck. You know what I mean? Like you spray paint, you spray paint graffiti tag and all that stuff. And the spray paint art that I was exposed to first starting out, like the first time I saw it was the performance style. I was 19 and was at the beach and on the boardwalk, you know, or just off of it. Somebody was at their setup and was, was making stuff for people to buy as they walked by. And I saw it, right. And I thought it was really cool, you know, and I went home and I tried it because as you know, most 19 year olds will do, you're <laughs> going to be perfect. The first time you try something, you totally <laughs> blow it. And then you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. It's dumb. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then like 28 years later, I did it again. And it was, it was one of those things that was stress relief it was something I just wanted to do. But what I thought to myself from my last experience was what would happen if I took longer, right? Mm -hmm. If I didn't try to just do this in 20 minutes or a half hour or an hour, what if I just waited for everything to dry before I went to the next layer? What if I did a lot of layers, right? What would it look like? And at the end, I just felt as though that was the clear difference. It's just like art and fine art. You know what I mean? Spray paint art and fine spray paint art still follows the same um, subject matters and stuff that you find that fantasy surreal kind of mm -hmm. sci-fi that, that seems to permeate throughout the spray paint art mm. circles. So, and I like that that drew me to it. I just wanted to add another level to it, which is just time spending more time on it. Definitely. Let's, let's talk about that, that aspect of time a little bit more as it pertains to, that influence and sci-fi aspect of your work, right. as well as how you define, how you define art. I, <laughs> I loved what you said before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when people ask that question, right, you know, how would you define art? Yeah. I did spend time thinking about that, especially coming from a background that wasn't artistic at all. And it was like, how am I defining art? And I, I see it as a measurement of time, right? Not that minute, second hour art but more time's been creating. So you can't feel bad. You can't critique something. Like you can't put it into a box and say, that's good and that's bad and things like that. Because at the very minimum, you can say there's a lot of time put in that. You spend 20 hours making that steaming pile, right? <laughs> it's still 20 hours making it. And yeah. I have to appreciate the time you spent creating it. That's yeah. what I want people to at least get at a basic level before you, you know, crap in somebody's cornflakes. <laughs> that's yeah. That's so interesting because kind of as a throwback, even to our last episode, we talked about this concept that I love that there's a art history student blogger, some somewhere in the internet universe that uh, references this term, the artist wound. Hmm. And there's two sides of it. There's one side is because of the way the art world works. If your art doesn't fit the mold, then, you assume that your art isn't worth anything. Huh. But the other side of it is it, 
dependent on how much time you spent creating your art. Is it time well spent? Right. Is it time that could have been utilized for something else, like a traditionalist job or whatever, right. whatever right. the case may yeah. be? So I, I kind of like that. <laughs> that directly connects to that concept, and I think yeah, it's interesting. You talk about how much this kind of work really does take a lot of time, whether it's to sit and dry or to work out different techniques. And yeah, it's when you say that, I, I think to myself, I have a unique perspective with regards to being an artist now. And I don't know if that has carries less weight in the world or whatever, <laughs> maybe not trained as an artist, right? When people say, did you go to school for art? The very notion of what you just explained is on the premise that somebody gets to stand in a room and tell you what's important about art or mm -hmm. not. Right. So if you're classically educated in art, then that means you sat in a room while somebody told you what you just did was either not good enough or good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you start out as an artist without that training, mm -hmm. you have to find your own style, right? Because you can try to apply other people's styles. When you're in school, you're looking at the things that are being referenced then you're trying to create your own piece, but that's the difference between having an assignment and like, go do what you want and I'll grade it. Right. Right. I would assume, I always, that's why I always thought about art school. What is it equal? Definitely. How do you, how do you fail it? I yeah. guess if you're telling me to make something that looks like this and I don't do that, I get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you're saying, I want you to be creative within these confines, how can you, I would hate to have that job. I'd hate to have to stand there and look at something and go, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Yeah, so I, it's, it's interesting that you say that. So I, uh, I went to school for film. Okay. So I, I went to film school. Right. Loved it. We had two guest speakers mm -hmm. that took very different approaches to when it came to watching and experiencing right. films. We had yeah. one guest speaker who came in and said, you should actively be watching and taking in every film that you possibly can right. so that you can understand what influences go into it, how to do it and piece it apart. And we had another guy that came in and said, I have a feeling that the most pure filmmaker will have never seen a movie in their life. Right. And yeah, the I ones think, we celebrate are always the ones that look different than everything else we've seen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Definitely. And those are the ones who win the awards. Yeah. I, mean, right. I guess you could <laughs> reference certain things and say, Oh, that was a dolly zoom like this. Yeah. Director used, mm -hmm. but that's application of technique, definitely right? right. So then you say to yourself in the technical arts, mm. this film I consider that to be your vision, yeah. But there are technical procedures that have to be done in order to accomplish what you want to do, definitely. Which is no different than saying you can have someone teaching you watercolor or painting with oil and saying that your technique for making those trees is wrong, unless you're saying no, no, no. This is the way I want to make my trees look. Yeah. So I get Definitely. it. It's, there is the application of, of a skill set. So I understand and appreciate going to school to learn to do art. You know, yeah. I don't want anyone to ever think that. Yeah. It's just that I would find it difficult to do that because it just felt like you're trying to regiment something that shouldn't be. Definitely. Yeah. On the creative Definitely. side. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There's, there's a difference between teaching creativity and teaching right. technique. Right. And I think, exactly. I think it all comes down to that, which right. is. Yeah, but I always hear these yeah. stories where folks will tell me and other artists that I've been around is that, you know, they remember when they had this teacher, right? Or they had that teacher. And I'm just thinking to myself, it's, I get it because I did have that teacher, but I still knew how to write the code that I needed to write in order to make the program work. It mm -hmm. was a binary state. It either works or it doesn't. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's not like that. Programming, it's garbage in, garbage out. 
right? But when it comes to art, time spent creating gives you something. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm having a little bit of a personal crisis right now because I'm thinking about an oil painting sitting in my basement that I have about 20 hours into. (laughs) And I think a lot of the stress from this piece is I'm sitting there. I had started it in a class and I was sitting there thinking, I'm working on this. I'm reworking it. I'm painting over. It's an oil painting. So it takes a long time to dry, has to let it sit. So that that's more time where I can't be working on it. And I'm looking at it and painting over things because someone's telling me that doesn't look like what the photo looks like. Yeah, I know what you mean. And in a class, okay, maybe that's, I'm working on technique. I'm working to build towards. Is the assignment photorealism? It, it is. Okay. But it's not a painting I enjoy working on because someone is actively over my shoulder and not, not even in a negative way, actively over my shoulder telling me that's not right. That doesn't look like the photo. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's like going into the military and, you know, and having the sergeant over your shoulder saying you need to hit the target with the gun, right? Right. Right. Shoot a hole in the target. Then you can move on to the next thing. Right. I get that. You know what I mean? So if if it comes down to getting the work ethic, to work through the things that you don't like doing or the portions. Cause there are times where I'm at a point in my painting where I have to just move through it. Even though I know where I want to get to, mm-hmm. I've got to get through it. That comes from work ethic. I learned in general yeah. from life, going to school, whether it was technical or not. Definitely. But yes. So that's where going to school is important. You know, yeah. going to school for anything is important because it builds work ethic, you know, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely, totally based on the individual artist process right and your right. your process is is very very unique that's the other <laughs> thing that's really hard for me okay so when i would walk in i remember when i first started doing this type of art with mm-hmm. with spray paint going into a gallery and walking up to people in art associations and showing them what i do seeing it on the phone or a tablet was one thing but then the next thing was is seeing it in person so people were trying to judge things on the basis of how would you achieve that look on the grass how did you get that sky to look that way? They don't have anything to measure it against. Mm-hmm. They know how to use the tools they know how to use. And generally people feel as though like, you know, how would I move my hand and what would I do and all these things? It's interesting because there's no one teaching it. Mm-hmm. So I have to make it up as I go. Um, I look at other artists and what they do with spray paint, but it's nothing similar. So I just say, you know what? I want to try and create this effect. I'm going to go try it. On something that I spent 15 hours on already. Mm -hmm. I screwed up. Chances are I got to throw it away. So Mm. just have at it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So just for our listeners' purposes, your artwork is entirely spray paint. Mm -hmm. No brushes? No traditional brushes. Okay. That was my big joke is when you see the (laughs) signature, I usually would do it with a brush. And I would explain to people, see, I'm total crap with a brush. My signature looks horrible. Like I, <laughs> I don't like using a brush at all. And I'll use the spray paint as well too. And when I was doing it with Rust-Oleum, that stuff hardens up the brush so quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's just nasty. So you can't use it. It's a one sign deal. <laughs> and then yeah. after that, it's toast. So it always looks bad. So you'd have all this really nice. You get to the signature and you're like, oh. <laughs> that's my brush work oh, doctors don't have nice signatures yeah, you don't have true, to have nice true. signatures either yes 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 my dad had to deal with a medical emergency because somebody couldn't write the prescription right oh, oh my goodness oh, no. right chicken scratch either way it's <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those things where i definitely um have established my own style and i have to use things like a sock turned inside out or like 
sponge edge. Sponge brushes, I guess it's the only brush. Even then, I find myself tearing it off the end with the mm. stick not being there because I don't like that motion. I'd rather move my mm. hand. So, yeah. Yeah, getting certain effects. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Before you brought up work ethic and that time and, mm. and learning how to push through those things. Yep. And you also brought up coding. Right. So, I'd, I'd love to talk about your artist journey from what you used to do, your old profession, and how you got here now. Yeah, I didn't... Um, I didn't code. I wasn't that type of programmer. I, I, I led teams of people and we had coders on them and, you know, but again, I did, I started out, uh, and in the tech world, right. The dot com bubble and just to jump forward in 99, I ended up starting to work for IBM and it was because of the Y2K scare. So the, the software that I knew, um, not a lot of people knew it. It was a specialized technology and IBM now owned it they had just bought it recently and they had a bunch of servers sitting on a raised floor somewhere you know being kept cool then you know necessarily the all right the companies that owned those systems that had accounts on them weren't completely convinced that their stuff wasn't going to shut off mm. at midnight you know on, <laughs> on in the year 2000 so they were willing to pay some of us to babysit them at night you know be there i guess to restart them when they shut off Either way, it was fun. We played video games and sat on the raised floor on New Year's <laughs> Eve, just waiting for like the world to not come to an end because we knew it wasn't. Yeah, I was like, amazing. really? You know, there wasn't enough COBOL involved in our lives for it really to be a problem. But it was just fun. We were all getting paid a premium, you know, to, to, yeah. to babysit computers. So that was my start there. And then from that point, I just went through the the, the rise from, you know, just a team member to, you know, a leader project manager and those kinds of things, but it was corporate citizenry. So you learn how to be a good corporate citizen and within that space. So I spent 14 years, yeah, 13 and a half, 14 years with IBM. And then at the end I got laid off, but two years prior to that, you know, we had known for some time that we were going to be laid off. It's a matter of just making sure you were in long enough to get the best deal moving out. And so we started painting in the garage to relieve stress. And started getting good at it. And there was people in the neighborhood that would come by my open garage. And uh, I'd hand them something that I'd worked on because they said they liked it. So I'm, I do this all for them. <laughs> <laughs> One day, if I make it and, it and it goes really well, the value will increase for all those people that got a free piece in Colorado. Shout out to all of them, Jenny and, <laughs> and Tom. <laughs> you guys, yeah. That's what you think. At least that's what yeah. I hope. You know, one day they can be looking at their wall and be like, oh my God, I got one of his. <laughs> and hopefully awesome. while you're right. still alive, right? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> right, folks. Support living artists. The dead ones don't need it. <laughs> I love Quote that. of the day. <laughs> yes. Please. <laughs> they don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get from from handing out paintings from your garage in Colorado to where, where you're at now. It's always been this interesting thing. Like there'll be a, a, a space in a particular area. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Cause as when you start becoming an artist, I guess, because for me, it was at that point where I went from not being one to suddenly thinking differently. Like I'm looking at the sky differently. I'm looking at the clouds differently. I'm, I'm actively going out into the world I'm in I'm trying to figure out how I could put it into a painting that I'm working on or how do I do that? So I'm immediately, I, I've gone from worrying about, you know, project meeting calls, you know, and, and dealing with scrum meetings and stuff like that 
to going to the point where I'm like, oh, so how do I make realistic clouds? You know what I mean? <laughs> right? How do I get that orange effect on the bottom? Do I need three different oranges or is that just two? So you have this fundamental shift in the way you look at the world. Definitely. And there were certain places I would go to and think, what, you really need if my art could hang in here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it started with a, with a um, bookstore in Boulder called Trident Booksellers. And I went to the lady that was there and I saw people had their art hanging on the wall. And I was like, hey, this is what I do. You know, you think I can hang on here. At first she was like, no, they don't. Honestly, it was my first time <laughs> running into, no, we're not really into that whole spray paint kind of stuff. Uh, we're not really into like, you know, the sci-fi fantasy mm, stuff. Mm. And I'm like, what? Wait a second. All right. Realistically, I went and looked at the wall and there was a painting of the flat irons. For those that aren't from Colorado and those that are. <laughs> Trident literally is at the base of the mountains that are on the wall inside the bookshop. (laughs) You can walk out the door and look left and there they are. Why do you need them inside? (laughs) Why do they need to be on the wall on the inside? I didn't get that. I never got that. Like it was, it was really funny because I had a view of the Rockies from my place and I would go to other people's houses in the neighborhood and I'd be like, there they are again. They're outside. <laughs> Why did you put them inside? So for me, that was just humorous, but I get it. Like yeah. there's a point where something is so strong with you that you don't want to be without it in the other room, I guess. <laughs> right? It's its own iconography. Why buy the painting? Because you couldn't afford to knock a wall out to put a window facing it. I get it. It's like, it's totally terrible. Like, like you walk into the place when you're going to rent the space. And know that you're not going to see the mountains and, you know, well, I got to get a really good picture to put over here. <laughs> oh, I'll stop. But that's, that's what I ran into. So I, I, that's why I was saying when you don't do that sci-fi fantasy stuff, but okay, you do replicas of outdoors, right? Right out the front door, you know? So it's interesting how people choose what is important to others. We yeah. discussed that as well. So, yeah. but then eventually she called me back and she was like, one of our artists canceled. Can you be down here tomorrow? And I was like, oh no, nothing's framed, right? I kid you not, I had to take everything down there and they had these metal beams going across a, a, a real brick wall. And I got magnets and they were on poster board. And I magnet to it up on the top. And it looked so, for lack of a better term, it just looked so cheesy. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was the most exciting thing I'd ever done as an artist up until that point, right? Yeah. So you get the kids together and we're going to make some food and we're going to sit down there. And my neighbors from across the street came down to hang out at a place they would never hang out in. Yeah. And they, it was like, it was just so cool to have like an opening night. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just that from that moment, I had five or six people come up to me and legitimately ask me questions that were real, honest intuitive questions and i was like wow this is what it's about right yeah somebody got a feeling looking at that piece and then felt compelled to talk to me about it yeah that was really neat so that kind of hooked me at first and i was thinking to myself how do i keep doing this so from that point then i joined uh the boulder art association you know and then from there i i helped them to open their first gallery ever you know up until that point there were um, a bunch of of mem- longtime members that were showing their works to each other in a church basement, you know, and they love doing that every month, get together and show it off and brought it up enough times. Like, wouldn't it be cool? If we had a spot where we could do this. 
the Boulder Art Association. You've been around 97 years. Let's see what Boulder thinks, you know? And we did. And it lasted for some time. It was yeah. nice. And I came back to Pennsylvania, you know? And I had to start all over again. And that was tough. But I still felt compelled to seek out the same entities. And that's what I'm glad for around here, that there are different alliances. There are different groups. Maybe not quite so together on mm-hmm. things but there's still these genuine efforts to try and better mm-hmm. the arts. So I get involved and meet people. It's been fun. Absolutely. Definitely. And you're involved with the banana factory. Correct. I have yeah. a studio on the second floor. Um, 218. Nice. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> I think it's I really, honestly, it's on. <laughs> Holy. It's right next to Doug's. Oh, that's great. <laughs> now, when I think to myself, you know, all the people that are going to be hearing this, be like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that's, that's my right, studio. Right, right. <laughs> or someone's listening to it, it's like, dude, he doesn't even know where he's at, does he? Oh, man. Inside the Banana Factory oh, building, to be sure. You of the first interview? Because I was <laughs> oh, wait, we didn't record it. <sighs> right. So, yes, at the Banana Factory. Yeah. And that was cool. That was a cool thing to get to be able to do, because I hung out there for five years. You know, and then finally be in a situation. It was the second time I interviewed for it. And and it was really nice to get into the space because now all I want to do is, is like help everyone in there to do more of what they love to do. Right. That's all it comes down to. If I can, if any one of us can like make it easier for the rest of us to just keep doing what we love to do, I'm all for it. Yeah. Maybe a little too altruistic. (laughs) So how many, how many artists are in the residency program at a time over there? (laughs) 26 but i think we're up to 28 now we selected two more folks um that are going to be coming in to fill in back spaces and with COVID, you know things have sat vacant for a little while longer yeah mm-hmm. uh, in general it's a slow growth back to normal right we're going to have the new social folk pause it's a great stage to to discuss those kinds of things here you know to Definitely. when people get to hear this because it is interesting right we're going to get to the point where all right, what's the summer look like with masks and not masks? What does is, what is Christmas look like with masks and not masks? When does it get to the point where the awkwardness of the social gathering is the prejudging of the folks that didn't wear the mask, right? <laughs> or does it do they have to have the scarlet letter like V for vaccinated, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I get to walk because we're going to do that. Like yeah. Yeah. now that's the new conversation opener, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be some cheesy line from a guy walking up to a woman that's, you know, not wearing a mask and be like, so when'd you get your vaccine? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> prodding and feeling to find out if they're just like not caring or what. <sighs> Either way. I think we're already at that point. Are we? Are we? <laughs> I mean, we still go to the grocery store and if you see somebody without a mask, you say yourself, they got two shots, right? Yeah. Should I You'd like to think. <laughs> Should I be a jerk to get them to reveal it? Do I scream from another aisle? Hey, we're <laughs> that's going to be someone's performance piece right. in ten years. Right, that's how it. You, how do you navigate the yep. the old man not wearing a mask at the grocery store? Kind right, of thing? right. <laughs> yep, and it's going to have all kinds of weird music, like the Jaws theme. Yeah, oh my goodness, he's going to be going around the aisles <laughs> with his car. Sneeze. Right, <laughs> right. Yep, that's. Yep. <sighs> I digress. <laughs> so I, speaking of performance piece, right. <laughs> I did want to, uh, to ask about the performance concept and the, the artist collective that you're working with over at the banana yeah, factory. So, so the concept was when I got into the, 
banana factory, one of the things I wanted to make good on was trying to help um, do something for the space that let me in, right? You contribute to the overall. Um, and one of the things I thought about is, is what isn't represented right now because of COVID? Like, how do we come out of this? Because everyone's talking about virtual and it's so interesting because I worked from home for seven years. So I understand what it's like to work from home. And to see something in the world happen that forces people into something that I was able to do before. Mm -hmm. And then the businesses find out, you know, we really don't need to own that building because everybody's at home now and they're getting their job done. It becomes a different world. So now you have more audience online. So what can you present to those increased audience? And I thought, well, let's establish the performing arts in the banana factory in some way. They have the the PYT theater there, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's always been some form or another. But I wanted to be able to go to that next level where you have the podcast and the streaming, and you have performances in the space. And um, when I thought of who could I get that I know is, you know, a performer, uh, I immediately thought of Kate Hughes. And when I thought of her, it was like a foregone conclusion. So I sent her a message and I was like, hey, Kate, I got this idea. Can you come by and let me know what you think? And we sat there and talked for a while. And at the end, we both had goosebumps and it was like she was going to go off and find the people that she knew that do performing arts. And I was like, all right, cool. And I'll try to make sure that we all get it done, right? And see what happens. And we did. We we put together a performance. Um, Sarah Viteri was our director. Um, Jonathan Smith, Michael Lebson, um, Brandon Lay did the writing for it. It's one of those things where you see how much you can get done on volunteerism. Mm-hmm. This is a really neat idea. Let's go try and pull it off and then we'll present it to the world, right? Yeah. But the goal is to ultimately sell more art everyone's art right let's give you a new way of uh, engaging so we wanted to do this ambitious reinvention of the gallery opening night you know now we're there's a clear start and stop you know be at the gallery at this time and it doesn't consist of milling about in the gallery space with the usual suspects standing by the broccoli and the ranch dressing or getting another (laughs) free glass of wine and waiting for somebody to get a red dot or see somebody sell or yeah see somebody you haven't seen in a while, but yeah. it's, it just needed to change a little bit because it was starting to get really? to the point where you're like, I can't buy the art. So I'm here to support somebody or am I just here because I enjoy looking at what other people created? Mm-hmm. But yet I could get one if I felt compelled to do it. And we, I thought, you know, why not attach a performance to that opening night, Definitely, a, an event to attend that has a start, a finish, and hopefully an ovation. Right. And then you feel something at the end of it. And if anything, you can meet the artists afterwards, you know, that backstage kind of environment. People can say, Oh, I got a great feeling from the performance attached to that work of art, that collection of art. Mm -hmm. I really would like to buy that one. You know, might get somebody who wouldn't normally buy the art. Yeah. Yeah. You're going from being in a gallery setting and having other people tell you that this is important or that you should buy it because of this to having the artist directly tell you, this is why this is important. This is why you should buy it because it's a piece of me and it's part of my story kind of thing. Well, it's written, right? You let's look at it this way. Imagine a performance where there's going to be six artists that are a part of it. They'll do five works for that. There'll be a theme. They follow that theme. Then each artist sits with a director, writer, an actor or actress or both and has a real good conversation about what's being created, why it's being created that way, blah, 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 blah. There's someone taking notes and writing down, capturing that. 
and turning it into a scripted performance mm -hmm. for those five pieces mm -hmm. that will run sequentially through it or however they want to break it up. It'll be a start and an end for that portion of the performance for that of the five or six artists. Yeah. And they'll move back to their mark in the set space. And then the next artist will come out and go through their performance for their artwork. You also could do it for a whole collection, but the idea is, is to have that start and stop and take everyone on a journey. Definitely. There are certain technical aspects to it to try and figure out in a gallery setting is how to get sound correct, you know, and get people that are doing the performances and everyone able to see it. But the idea is, is just to give people a feeling like I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So we call it that thing at that right? thing at, <laughs> so you'll be able to say to somebody, you see that thing, what thing? <laughs> that thing at the banana factory thing at wherever yeah from there. that's almost the that's a performance model you can pick that up and right. drop it in any right. <laughs> any residency program uh, college gallery uh, yes anywhere so space. Yeah. yeah and that's the one of the things is we're surrounded by you know um different arts departments from different universities and colleges around us mm -hmm. you know anyone looking to be a part of something it also ties in as well with what we're doing right here with the podcasting in a sense imagine there being a post-game show wrap yeah. up whatever it is because we watch it right right now we have it in everything we have it in our elections you know you have the six hour broadcast leading up to the numbers <laughs> right and you're all sitting there talking about it or same thing with the oscars or something there's this lead up and then yeah. after the show there's this post-game show and discussion and everything like that well you can have yeah. the same thing yeah now you can focus on a performance and an art that was you know now this is when you can show the art of close and you can get in yeah to people's streams and feeds yeah mm -hmm. i mean even take it to the youtube level there are videos exactly. out there that are reactions to other videos that exist yep. yeah and that's our goal yeah our yeah, goal is it, to make sure that ahead. you'll get to know as much as you can about the performance that happened in that space and who the artists were that were in it and the work that was featured yeah and then you'll have that up there for three months and the next one will happen yeah. it'll probably be a year at a time you know or whatever we can do right now we're looking yeah. for additional funding but i did a, a creative capital award grant hmm. um writing for that was was a really interesting experience because you have to do all the things like break your idea down to 50 words hmm. now give me the 250 word version of it you're right now do this in 500 words and you find yourself yeah. truly getting a grasp on what your idea is and maybe even weeding yourself out hmm. a lot of people might weed themselves out really early on that attempt just because they don't want to have to confine it all yet they don't know yeah but we were able to do it and now i feel as though i can write that grant you know and if you do it for the big one going after the smaller ones makes you feel more confident at least that you have a product mm -hmm. to put in front of somebody so. yeah. yeah yeah that's that's really similar to a technique used in screenwriting okay so there's there's a log line right okay. and it's a one sentence summary right of the story whether uh -huh. it's simply a premise right it includes the main character or main characters and uh, just a quick setup of the premise so you have that and then after you have a finished draft of the script you present a meaning along with it so okay. you'll say right we have jack and arnold rob a bank right and their grandmother ends up being the person behind the counter okay right right so that's that's the log line right you're like, oh my gosh, how does that play out? What does this do? But then the meaning would be, why does this exist? What is this trying to talk about? Right. It's talking about an age difference, okay, something generational, yeah, something something more like that. Almost, so it's, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. 
Yeah, so so the existence of both of those hmm. need to both be solid before you can even think about pitching it to a company. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, I get it. So, yeah, because it sounds to me like that log line that you were saying, it sounds like you're trying to write the cover for the VHS cassette. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you always see that line that like, yeah. explains it all for you right there, and then like you flip it over and then you get the little extra read. <laughs> Same thing with books too, right? Where you like, you're going to read the whole book based on that little excerpt you got right yeah. on the back of it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So if you can write that and that's compelling, I, I get what you mean. Definitely. That's exactly what we're trying to do. That's why we created the individual performance that we did now. Yeah. Because you could write so much, but then also being able to hand somebody something that says, all right, these six, seven people volunteered their time to create this. So you could look at it and say, imagine if they had the money to go off and do more right then mm-hmm. you're going to see that skill set flushed out you're going to see that skill set flushed out and then you're going to get yeah. grander production yeah but at least you know yeah. the competency exists already so that way that's why you want to give somebody the money so i get it like you got to draw folks in with something and then find out do they have a budget for it you know or do they have these things who else do i have to uh, assign to this for it to yeah. get done mm. so that's kind of similar in the sense of writing the grants and is being able because I I assisted with the grant selection one year, and and I told you that I think that's how I met that I told you that's how I met Zach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but that was really great because that gave me a firm understanding mm-hmm. as to what the selection looked like. Mm-hmm. So when you write your grant and you put it before somebody, you know what are they looking for? How much do you really get awarded? You know what I mean? And it's usually never the full amount. Right. So it's nice to write as good as you can. To get as close to that, it's almost like you could say, like, if it was twenty five hundred dollars and you got twenty four to ninety three, yeah. you wrote a really good grant, <laughs> right? But yeah. nobody ever got the perfect ten doing the quadruple backflip. Yeah, yeah. You know? well, that's I mean, that's, you're creating a foundation, a project foundation that creates metrics for when you go to apply for those bigger grants. You can say, look, by combining the digital, the in person, you're saying, look, we have this many viewers in this platform, we had this many attendance members show up for this performance like right. imagine if we had the money what we could right. what we could do right. with this yeah. project and that's the point where they say well what would you do and that's when you have to show them the hundred thousand dollar budget yep. that's when you, you have to big. show them right you, <laughs> this is what we would do you know if you gave us the money we're gonna spend you know four percent ensuring the whole debacle yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> 4%. <laughs> 4%. but even so you got to have the nitty yeah gritty numbers and you get down to it and that's the reality of it all and what I've been seeing folks try to do and hoping to do, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. how can you help them to hope to try? That's really what it takes. Yeah. You just got to try. Well, no, there is no try. <laughs> just doing. Do or do not. There is no try. Right? Like it was like Yoda said it. It's true. Yeah. There is no try. Yeah. Well, you, you talked earlier about you have a, a different perspective in your process making, but you also have a different perspective because you did work in a traditionalist, like in a corporate setting. You right. have that business mindset, that arts administrator mindset that we talked about. You're out right. there starting galleries from art alliances and you're right. building collectives in your artist residency programs. And that's something that I know we've talked a little bit about before because that's so meaningful, not just to have the skill set, but to have the skills and the the know-how and the competency to write the grants, to promote yourself, to build those social media algorithms. Yeah, too. well, the, the thing is, is it's actually you got to have the competency at finding folks who are competent. Mm-hmm. 
That's the key because you can't do anything. You can't do it all by yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. you can up to a certain degree, but at some point in time, if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of your hopes and dreams, chances are you're going to need more people to get it done, mm-hmm. right? And the idea is, is finding that competency and being able to inspire that competency and also keep that competency in line to an end result. Mm-hmm. So that's more of what I always thought of myself as the facilitator of, of an idea, right? Let's get all the right people in the room. Now you show me why you should get to stay, right? Yeah. Because if you do stay, we're going to do something awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then totally. if you stay, we're going to do something <laughs> awesome. And then you get enough people together that are all giving, that you want to be able to pay them. You want them to be able to give you everything they Definitely. have without fear of, I can't pay the bills. Definitely. You know I mean, I can't pay the rent. So how am I going to be as creative as possible for you when this is hanging over my head? You yeah. know what I mean? So that's the joy of it all. And when you find people that have consistently been competent and gotten things done it shows right away and that's mm. you can't that's that's talent unto itself you know and, and i really enjoy being surrounded by competent folks yeah yeah they say money back can't buy happiness but right. financial stability can definitely enhance creativity yeah <laughs> yeah I, yes you can't buy happiness but you can afford it yeah <laughs> right you're, you're totally right absolutely i never i get it yeah folks want to try and make it like money bad <laughs> i get it i get it root of all evil i get it but if you give us enough money we will make you smile i promise yep. <laughs> <laughs> right i would love to be the guy that won the lottery and you know i would be the one that would show up you know and buy people's groceries and do things and see how many people i can make happy today yeah can i do something to make somebody happy today that would be so cool Right. That, that would be the most awesome next reality TV show. Yeah. I mean, there are guys on YouTube. That's why I, I even saying his name, like Mr. Beast is yep. one of those ones that does I've it. Been thinking it's about so that. awesome watching him do that stuff. It's just cool, man. If wow. I had it, I would do the exact same thing. So way to go. Yeah. <laughs> it would be pull fun. up to McDonald's and pay for everybody right. in the back of his orders. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And then also have fun on the other side of it. Boy, my friend's got a dog of a car. Let's go destroy it and give him another one. <laughs> <laughs> right it's such a great idea let's just right i can afford every step along the way even the trouble we might get into when we do it let's but let's go make somebody's day really cool yeah and that's so that's where i'm trying to get to at least definitely at a basic altruistic level right i'm in the banana factory i want to help as many of my fellow artists in the banana factory as i can yeah i think you're doing that with your art too because you mentioned earlier that you like you like the look on people's face when they look at it and you say, yep, I made that with spray paint. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost, it's a little bit opposite of that. I don't, when I, when I say it to them, their response is usually the, either they didn't hear what I said and thought maybe I was (laughs) saying something that they wouldn't have known anyways. Like I was using, you know, I don't know, fan brush number five from Artemis, blah, 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 (laughs) right. Whatever I said, but then they're like, wait, did you say spray paint? And I'm like, yeah. And then they're probably, I can just see it. Their mind probably going to like that time when they were trying to spray the chair in the backyard with a can of spray paint and they're waving their hand in there thinking to themselves, I don't think I could do that. How do you do that? Right. And you get these specific questions and it's true. There are certain details I'm not getting by spraying. I have to rip something off and then spray at it to get that, that Mm. edge. But it's very true that, you know, you can tell when you've seen something that's been sprayed a lot. And it starts to create a real depth in it. And that's what I'm trying to achieve. 
Definitely. I want to reference and congratulate you on your piece for Infinite Worlds magazine. Yeah, that's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah, it is. uh, When you had sent over some of your information and mentioned it, I had looked at their website and I loved the, it was art made by fans for fans. Right. It's science fiction focused and this is the seventh edition, correct? Yeah, seventh issue just came out um, and Diamond Distributors uh, inked a deal with with them to provide real distribution right so now it's on the magazines that um comic book shops get to order what they're going to put on the shelves mm-hmm. next month right so now there's infinite worlds is a box that can be ticked off and i hope more people like that if anyone hears this that owns a comic book shop please take off that box to order you know because it's <laughs> the same folks who distribute dc so it is on a lot of people's yeah tables desks you know by their cash registers whatever they do to select and it truly is a um, created with the intent of i'm no ads let's just give you that pulpy pure science fiction Mm -hmm. right you look at it and you're just like yep there's no denying it this is science fiction Mm -hmm. right this is fantasy but mostly science fiction and that's cool so to be in that right now um, i was in the second edition uh, the second issue and the fifth issue, the one I just released now, it's right behind me, is the one that's in number seven, which just went to uh, shelves on the 31st. So wow. it's, that's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That right? is. Congratulations. So, yeah. Yeah. And what's really cool now is I've gotten to the point where I have prints available. Um, and so yeah. folks that get the magazine, what I'm hoping is, is when you flip through and you're like, boy, I'd love to have this on my wall. You can. That's the next layer of definitely goodness you know i hope to spread mm-hmm. people have, and i have the option to do more issues yeah that's awesome that's very cool have you gotten the chance to see your your work inside of a comic shop inside that context at all uh, yeah okay <laughs> well no i have so like not in a magazine but i got to hang my work in a comic book store oh, very cool and it was in the gaming room where everyone was playing board games like you know oh, D awesome. and warhammer and all that stuff and and so yeah. i know people were surrounded by these images and that was a cool feeling. was that was that local or was that in colorado yeah that was at um portal yes it was at the portal <laughs> i love portal <laughs> yep yep i was in the back room for a while oh, i think awesome. it was in 2017 18. very cool that all that the big walls up in the top and the back. I had like eight pieces in there. Yeah. That yeah, was neat. Very cool. Yep. So for those listening, would you be willing to describe the piece a little bit that you've got hanging behind you? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. yes. What did I not say last time? Oh, you wouldn't know. because I didn't say <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> no, that one's called Gemstone Canyon. Um, the concept of it was to spray as little as possible and imply as much detail as possible. Um, so I started with, uh, it's 24 wide by 30 high. Yeah. And it, um, I started off with a midnight blue rust-oleum cover and I just sprayed over it. And then that told me it was going to be a darker piece. You know, once I do that, I know everything is going to eventually be shadowed with that color right so and then from there i tried to create the two moons and then i wanted to do something different to make it alien extra alien is give it an orange sun we have a yellow sun so we know what light looks like when we see our light coming from our sun and i was trying to figure out what an orange sun would look like 
You have nothing to reference on that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like you just got to kind of wing it and hope. So one of the things I found was is uh, how more alien I could make the planet. So I created the, uh, the foothills or sapphire, the mountains in the distance or emerald. And then there's acid lake. And then there's creatures flying in there. And people ask me, you know, what are those? Well, that's what lives there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's about all I'm really willing to explain. That's what lives there. That's what drinks from the acid <laughs> right, lake. Right. Or doesn't at all. You know what I mean? Like, he, they got to fly pretty far to find water. I don't know. They don't need water. They drink silicone. <laughs> what does it matter? You know what I mean? Yeah. But th that's the conversation. And I always get into, and I will mention Anthony Smith because he, and, and Michelle Neifert like to give me crap for what looks like pine trees on other planets. And I'm like, hold on a second. First off, <laughs> how do you know that's a pine tree? It looks like one. It'll probably eat you if you get too close to it. It just has that shape. <laughs> and then I get to the point where we're just going back and forth so much on it that I'm just like, listen, you can't argue with the infinite. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Why are you trying to? Yeah. It's like the, the infinite monkeys. Yeah. Right. Banging on uh, infinite typewriters. You're going to get the complete works of Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Why are you, it will happen. That's, so. that's what people do with, with surrealist art or science fiction art is they try to try yeah. to rationalize it, but right. that's, but why, why rationalize right. it? You know, <laughs> right. You should buy it on the fact that it's completely warped your little mind. Yep. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's totally, completely yeah. puts you in a situation where you can't grasp it. Yeah. That's something I would want to walk around and look at. Because if you figure it all out, then you put it on your wall. It's like the, I don't know, the matchbox car that you played with a thousand times. And you need a new one. You know what I mean? But if it <laughs> yeah. takes you a while to get to the point, or like building a model, right? Definitely. You want to get to the point where yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. See something new every day. Yeah. It's like that creepy print you buy at the thrift store. It just sits on your wall. Like, right. what, what fun is that? You know? And this piece, the Gemstone Canyon piece, is very ethereal. It's very. I compared it to like a science fiction movie where I'll watch a science, a sci-fi movie mm -hmm. and feel stressed or feel, right. feel panicked because there's so much action, but this is so peaceful. And then yep. you said, but what if that's an acid? Right. Play? That's an acid pool. Don't fall. Okay. <laughs> From the position that you're standing in that painting as the viewer, you're in a precarious spot. You know what I mean? You've obviously walked to the edge, you know, and you want to dip your toe in there and find out if, you know, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> tough lessons to learn right <laughs> somewhere along the way that that comes up but absolutely yeah, that's uh yeah <laughs> so what got you into sci-fi um i wouldn't necessarily it's just interesting how i was a comic book collector mm. as a kid right i loved collecting comic books um then i also then realized that if you like did the subscriptions to the comic books they would send it to you in a dust jacket with a cardboard backing to it so why not just go to the comic book store and buy the ones you want to read, but then subscribe and get all the ones that you really don't want to read, but you get to one day, but at least you know they're protected. Taken yeah. care of. So you start building the perfect collection. It's all taken care of for you. Costs you a little bit more, but but then you can end up with long boxes of comics. And then they all got destroyed in the flood. So oh, either no. way, <laughs> right. Yeah, you come to grips with that stuff long time ago i think it was like nineteen thousand comics just gone oh my goodness there's no but that's the thing is is but i still remember absolutely everything oh yeah you know what i mean so it's fun because even yeah. to this day i'll go and look at other comics you know in the store see old prints and i'm just like, i remember reading this i remember reading this and that's cool so that's i felt cool. as though all that imprinted 
in me then. Because if I could remember like that. So when I'm painting and I'm doing things, I am not trying to create any of those worlds. That's impossible. But what I do know is, is when I've successfully created it to the point that it's convincing, mm. right? What did I lo- get used to looking at? Like, uh, for example, Boris Vallejo, right? He lives here. He lives in Allentown. Uh, and Julie, his wife, Julie, right? When I was growing up, going to like one of the books uh, stores, mm-hmm. his calendars would be in there. And there were always those calendars. And they were always wrapped up. And you would find one that somebody opened because they just had to look at it or something <laughs> like that. I'm not saying I ever did that. But it was, but you got to look through it. And, you know, aside from the scantily clad women or like the big buff barbarian types that were standing there on the rock faces, you know, with these massive alien dragons book, that isn't what I was in like enthralled by. I always was looking past the character. I'm like, what world are they on? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, and he would do just enough of that to give you this feeling like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I get that this is what lives here. Just like how I said that, that's what lives there. I want to see, I'm like an opposite of that. Whereas the yeah. animals and the people or the characters aren't as much the vocal as the locale. Yeah. So I always felt like I ended up painting the backgrounds for his works. That's where I was inspired. Just mm. to be like, see that kind of almost enough of it, right? You're seeing a little bit behind the characters and like maybe some weird shaped palace in the background or some field going off into the distance behind us and you know it's an alien world right yeah so i wanted to that's where i get come up with it from trying to fill in those blanks definitely yeah that's very cool yeah yeah and i love also a fellow comic book fan and i love hearing the influence that comic has on those that decide to become artists because it's it has a huge influence there were fundamental shifts that occurred for us all yeah like but I remember growing up, the, the huge fundamental shift in cartoons from when it was Bugs Bunny to now all of a sudden it was G-Force, mm. right? When there were suddenly like this Star Blazers, right? You had these totally Japanese-inspired animes that made their way over here. And they were so profoundly different than everything you had seen up until that point. Yeah. That it made this lasting impression on you, or it didn't. You, yeah. You, it polarized. Yeah. I hate that crap. I absolutely love that. You know what I mean? That's what you got from people. Yeah. And then it slowly made its way to realizing, yeah, they don't all have to be made like that. And that expanded people. So that was, that was an influence for me as well, too, is, is starting to see that inclusion of other cultures into our art styles. Definitely. Yeah. And they were always sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. They weren't like they were trying to do silly, goofy stuff. Yeah. It was this hard edged kind of like, this is the other world, like heavy metal when that came out, you know, that was a huge eye-opener for people like yeah you can draw people to do that yes you can <laughs> they will do that yes oh that's very cool. or akira you know what i mean those kinds of yeah. things that just showed up and blew everybody's mind yeah you know? but that was the status quo or that was the norm yeah in japan yeah yeah thinking there's just a small rant on akira yeah akira is mind-blowing to me because it's one of the few movies that are animated in existence hand-drawn at 24 frames per second right Right. Yep. Usually they're done on twos. So you'd see it projected in 24, but it's only 12 frames per second. Really. That's a lot of drawing. But to, to think about doing twice the amount of drawing that you would typically do, that's, yeah. that's my boy. Yeah. It really is. And it shows when at the end he's turning into that. It's such a smooth, seamless yeah. turning into that giant amoeba. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That was like, wow. Yeah. You haven't seen that smoothness and, yeah. and stuff. It's usually 
jerky, right? You know, the Definitely. guy goes flying across the screen. There's a big fight, but you feel like it's edited, you know, like click, click, click. Yeah. But that was just. Yeah. Yeah. And think, thinking about the influence that even just Akira has had on film and art in general. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at something like Inception by Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. who has been vocal about how much he loves Akira. Right. And basing right. his entire shifting hallway scene. Yeah. On the shifting hallway scene in Akira. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's interesting because even that movie Chronicle. Yeah. Gave me the feeling as though they could finally make an Akira movie. Yeah. You know, when I saw those special Definitely. effects up until that point, you're saying to yourself, how are you going to pull this off and not look cheesy? Yeah. And then that movie came out and that was the first time I thought, okay, I don't want you to make the movie, but at least I know you can. That's, Definitely. you know what I mean? Now you can make somebody flow through the air. Definitely. And, Look Definitely. like they just have powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's it. But Definitely. yeah, then there were certain scenes though I did want to actually see translate the film mm. from that. So for sure. We'll probably end up getting it anyways. That's how uh, Battle Angel, you know, Alita yeah. and all that. That was yeah. one saw a lot of anime and then I see it now as movie form and same thing with the comic book movies. I get yeah. it. Those cool moments. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that increases the audience for what it is i do definitely well with that live action akira movie i know that taika watiti who did Thor ragnarok he's actually prepped to direct it right now Uh, we're going into production on that i think at the end of next year uh, (laughs) as long as they don't create a universe of it Uh, standalone movies are awesome when they just happen (laughs) and then they explode and then you're like whoa and then you never get them again yeah but that's why we end up remaking them 30 years later very true so there's just the only movie I don't want them to ever touch. And if they do touch them, I just give up on cinema as Ferris Bueller day off. Oh my goodness. Don't remake it. Yeah. Just yeah, don't. Just don't. It's good. No matter what <laughs> I can truly say, I did skip school once to watch a movie about skipping school. That's amazing. <laughs> we actually did. I'll never forget it. That's a, that's a solid collective yes. experience. If you're going to skip school, you might as well watch Ferris Bueller's right. day off. Do it in right. style. Because then you can totally say to whoever you get in trouble with, like, listen, I just had to do it. It was such a funny thing. Sorry, we didn't have like camera phones then, or I would have recorded us <laughs> watching a movie while skipping school. I might even have filmed leaving the school, like, you know, and then going... <laughs> Like, look at it's just like a oh, that's that awesome. would be a cool one, wouldn't it? Yeah, a really. short film like about- reenact Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm sure it's been done a thousand times, but it's just like your own way, you know. Yeah. Wait, 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 you just said don't touch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. No, right, right, exactly. Don't remake it, but like, feel free to create your version, like the uh, individual version, like a YouTube. You see somebody making their day, my day of Ferris Bueller, and somewhere in the video has to be them sitting on a couch or somewhere watching Ferris Bueller's day off. Yeah. And you have to establish in the beginning that you are skipping school. <laughs> yeah. Put it on the, right. put it on there. Like you see the, uh, the woman on the, on the screen in the back of his computer. Right. At the beginning of the movie. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, and then you can have your little moments, you know, where you eat gummy bears and you know, yeah. whatever it may be scream, you know, that you're going to go somewhere and, oh it's amazing (laughs) yes so yeah so there's a lot uh going on in the valley yeah and you just um you had work in the winter show that just finished up at the bethlehem house gallery correct Mm -hmm. yeah that was my super bowl like as far as things go with regards to as an artist like coming home to your hometown finest gallery and getting your chance to hang the art there Mm -hmm. it's not something i ever asked for 
You know what I mean? But I tried to stay involved as much as I could, letting people know. And I just remember the the genuine ask that I got to be in the show. Well, those things like I've seen what you're, I saw that one you're doing. I need to, you need to come in here now. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to show you. And that was a, such a great feeling. Like, cool. So nervous. Like, I, but it, I haven't been nervous. I don't get nervous. But when I was walking up and Ava behind me could tell you when we were walking up to the gallery on opening night, I didn't ever ask to have, like, I didn't feel like I would have my piece up in front in the middle. And I didn't see it when I got up to the door to open the door. Ava said, he hung in up front. And then I looked up and saw it. And I was like, and for that moment, I was scared to go inside. I didn't want to go inside. I was like, oh my God, that's way too much. Like, awesome, right? I can't do this. Everyone's going to be looking at me. You know what I mean? And that was probably one of those best moments ever as an artist. And then to just go inside and have the opportunity to have people ask me genuine questions based on that wonder. How did you do this? How did you do that? So the same way I'm talking to you right now was just nice. Hurt my throat. My throat was sore. (laughs) I I talked a lot. I love it. But it was great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the house gallery is known for building an atmosphere unlike many other galleries around. Yes. How, how did their presentation influence the way that even you perceived your art in that space? Well, the, that's the cool thing about it. So as an artist, when you go there and you hang out there and any of the artists that are, would hear this would say to you is, is the presentation itself. Like we all at some point in time, probably sat at our easel or table or whatever and thought to ourselves, what would this look like at the gallery, at the yeah. house gallery, right? Because Ward and company do a great job of lighting the pieces and setting it up in the room. And you're never going to have that set up in your house or any other traditional gallery. So the only way you're ever going to see that painting is, is if you kind of like take it to whoever buys it home and hang it for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even then you're not going to get to hang around till the sun goes down so you can watch it by, you know, candlelight from their fireplace. You know what I mean? So it's like you, you definitely have to imagine a lot. And with that, you get to see your work in a light that you won't get to see. Yeah. Unless you can visit the home that it goes to. Yeah. And even then it might not even look as good as it did in the gallery. Mm. Right. And then, so it was always nice that that presentation, that aspect of, of showing there is, I, know, I love seeing how it's lit. I love how all the work is lit. I love finding out what colors the walls are painted because you don't know. I'm not going to paint my wall Merlot to see how it looks with this piece. Yeah. You can use apps and do all that stuff. But again, it's like showing my work on a phone. Right. No one ever says, sees the same thing in, as what's in person. Yeah. So it's nice. It's really nice to go in there and see all the iterations and things it comes up with. That's awesome. So as the, as the artist, how did that work? You just drop off your piece and then opening night, you get to see yeah, what it looks yeah. like. So, so basically the situation you're in is, is he comes and he selects the work, whether it be in person or through pictures or whatever it may be. And then you drop off and it's, you know, generally it's a very s- s- secret affair, mm-hmm. right? Where you're sometimes just dropping it off at the door and take it in, or you take it in and it's not painted or anything set up. Yeah. You have no clue what it's going to look like. And then from that point, you wait two, two and a half, three weeks, and then for opening night and come in and see what room you're in and see what pieces are hanging where and what the overall style and themes are. And it's great because it makes the opening night that much more special versus going into a white walled gallery. And you really are, okay, they're going to line up on this wall and they're going to line up on that wall and that's it. Yeah, You know, this is actually getting to see how your work is being presented. Definitely. Mm -hmm. 
so nice. That's very cool. And it was that piece that was right up front when I walked in. Big piece. Yeah, it very is. Very big piece. Yeah, it's five and a half feet wide by four feet high. It, <laughs> so I looked at it. And the way that it was set up in the gallery, there was a lava lamp in front of yeah, it. Yeah, right, right. And I looked at With the exact go, colors. Why don't I own a lava lamp? <laughs> and that's a really big lava lamp, <laughs> yeah. too. That was one of those <laughs> extra big ones. Yeah, like, yeah. really big. Like, that's yeah. like, yeah. Well, it's cool. Cool vibe. Like, mod furniture, lava lamp. It's that emotional connection. I need this in my house. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I, it's been nice. Uh, I've tried to visit the gallery while the show's hanging. I went down three or four times, um, generally on Saturdays. And it's one of those things where when you go down, you see the foot traffic. I mean, remember, we're still in the pandemic situation and we have these these brief moments where we feel like things are getting back to normal. And one of them is the attendance of things that are going on in downtown Bethlehem. Mm. So when I went down there, you know, to, to hear from the folks there that 100 people had passed through so far, that's encouraging because it makes you realize, okay, we're getting back to something here. You know, because it's a terrible feeling, I guess, because previous shows that were in there during the pandemic attendance is just going to be low. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, we're knee deep in the pandemic is people didn't want to go anywhere. I get it. Have time to be an artist, show yeah, your work. Definitely. So, yeah. So I find, I find that being able to show in that space when things are slowly getting back to normal was, was a real, real treat unto itself. Mm-hmm. Right having that piece in the front and knowing that there was going to be people that could come in and see it and talk about it. going down there and being able to talk to people was nice. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That is incredibly exciting. And I believe I saw on your Instagram that yeah. you posted, you sold most of or not all of them. No, seven pieces of seven. the, of the collection that I sold um, went to people. Uh, three of them were like those got to take it with you when they buy it. And then one was out of my studio because of the show. And then okay. the other three were, um, were, uh, left up. That's awesome. Which is really nice. You know, that people are willing to leave it there for the show yeah. because it would have been a tough situation for me because I didn't have enough framed behind me. It actually worked out perfectly that I didn't, I couldn't fill the spaces fast enough. You know what I mean? And I was yeah. glad what stayed stayed and, and it was, it all worked out perfectly. But yes, that was nice. That's awesome. When you do sell a piece and they decide to take it with, um, are you given the opportunity to replace that piece in the gallery? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I meant. Like if they had gone faster, you know, or, or earlier oh, in gotcha. the show, I would have had to go out and frame more of the pieces I had behind yeah. in order to fill those gaps. Yeah. Like if all that six of them sense. just went off the wall, yeah. I would need to get other pieces up there if I can. And I didn't want to put things that didn't fit with the rest. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's interesting that my stimulus check went to frame that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2020 is an interesting thing for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. My stimulus check framed that show. The and government they couldn't have showed up at a better time. The government paid to frame say, their I, art. I, I Listen, love some no, but that's it. Art. As far as the, right, as far as the discussion goes as to somebody being able to say, you know, lift them up by their bootstraps. Maybe assisting your citizens in the time of a pandemic, you have a choice. You can either sit on the couch and play video games all day, or you can try and make that business idea you had go. Yeah, and definitely. that's what I tried to do. Yeah, that's and awesome. So I got my studio during a pandemic. I got that show during a pandemic. You know, I got the, the magazine and all these things were happening at a time when everything was so terrible, but I was able to focus on it all because I was at home with my daughter. We're home. 
let's do this. And it wouldn't be fair if I didn't say that, you know, she made the honor roll all three quarters. Oh, that's Yay. so awesome. Right? <laughs> yes. yes. She did great. So that's the thing is, is having that focus and being able to be at home during all this, you have a choice of what to do during that space. And being a U.S. citizen seemed to be really great at the time because I was able to raise her and keep her in school and keep her focused. Yeah. And at the same time, also start my business to a level that I couldn't before because of hours and time. So yeah. Yeah. they helped me to become a full-time artist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. And that's yes. your work ethic, too. That's you. That's awesome. Yeah. Full-time artist. Yeah. Well, until I'm not. That's it. It's all it is for everyone. You know, mm. I've got nothing but, I mean, I can, all I want to do is paint. There's nothing greater than finding out what it is you want to do for the rest of your life. Definitely. Right. Nothing. Definitely. And if That's you get the, the chance to keep doing it, it's great. So you hope that you run into folks that appreciate not only that, but the work you're doing Yeah. and you get to keep doing it. Yeah. So you just have to make sure that you keep giving a quality product, not just the product, but you. Right. And that yeah. hopefully you'll find the right people, person, entity, business that's willing to support you because I've got thousands upon thousands of paintings in my mind. I get come flying out and I bet you I got some masterpieces in there as well, too. Love to just be able to do it. That's awesome. See what happens. So, so with, with taking 40 to 50 hours per painting, mm -hmm. how many paintings do you typically get through in a year? All right. Well, it'll change. So for example, on a 16 by 20, I'll be in a yeah. situation where I can do that probably in you know, as little as four. Okay. And as many as eight, right? Okay. Just only so much you could do on something that small. Definitely. With spray paint. Um, the ones behind me that actually took 22 hours. Okay. And the reason was because like I told you, I just wanted to spray less and imply more. So of if course. the idea was do less work, just layer up. Yeah. Um, but like on a bigger piece, like the, the, Fantasy Garden of the Gods. That was a 30 hour one. I had one that was in the show that was 43 hours. And, you know, it's, it's all about trying to get to the original vision. Mm. So when I go out to the board and I put the board on the table and I start spraying the first colors on, I'll see something in there, right? Almost like a Rorschach test, right? You just, and I, it would look strange to watch my process because it would be a considerable amount of time of just watching somebody stare at a board awkwardly you know what i mean you're just like are you just going to keep walking around and looking like that well i think yeah. i see something in there and that yeah and that and then i get an image as to what should be there and then i spend the rest of the time trying to get there yeah. that image and that's why it's very easy for me to finish a painting like a lot of artists a lot of times will talk about how i just can't finish you know what i mean like i got all these paintings and i'm not done with them yet it's very easy for me to finish because i just feel when i get to that point where i see the original image is complete and i can stop mm. go to the next one yeah. And that's just the way it's always been for me. I really am appreciative of that. So I can only work on one at a time. Yeah. But I know when to be done too. That's awesome. That's a gift. I want that. Definitely <laughs> a gift right yeah. there. <laughs> just improvise then. Can't go wrong. Oh, that's awesome. Good. So oh. Tyrone, uh, if someone wants to buy your work or get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, first off, um, I'm at the Banana Factory. Um, come the first Friday. That would be the first best cool step, right? You get to see everybody's art and yeah, come immerse, in and check immerse it out. yourself. Right. Um, there's still a registration process, but it's bananafactory.org. And then you can do the first Friday sign up. It usually shows up before, like five days before. Um, the next would be if you follow me on Instagram, 
Um, I'm at fine underscore spray underscore paint underscore art. So just look up fine underscore spray and it'll pop up. It really is that simple, but it <laughs> yeah. does. It just pops up from there. Um, yeah, my my good thing would be is, is I get it to the point where I'm at like F I N E. And then I pop up. Ah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't sure. think so. No, somebody's got fine cooking out there and probably has far more people. <laughs> but no, just get the fine underscore, whatever. So yeah, that's Instagram. So you can follow me there and you can see in progress pictures of what I'm working on. Mm. I'm not a traditional website approach towards things because I try to have a dialogue with folks. I understand that you could do it, but I prefer to talk to people when it comes to the originals and stuff like that. If you want a print of my work, go to Saatchi Art, right? Saatchi Art is a great. I've seen the prints that people have bought. I have a lot. I have about 50 different paintings out there as prints that are available. And I've seen the quality of the prints because people have ordered them that I know. And I've gotten to see them firsthand. They look amazing. As long as the original picture is really good. I have a few out there. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing I was going to bring. All right. Yes. So the, um, the prints are, some are up to original size. Some are a little smaller, but lately I've been getting to the point where I can put original size prints up there. So if you see mm. a painting you like that's there, you might even be able to get bigger too. Because I had a friend help me with some really great picture taking, which brings me to the next thing. That will not that one, but the the three that are the Infinite Worlds magazine. Mm-hmm. I just uh, minted them. They are now NFTs. Oh wow! Oh. And they will be going up for auction in probably a week and a half. You got to put together like a market. Yeah, marketing plan and yeah. advertising. Yeah. A lot of artists talking about that lately, right? And it's not hard. Well, it could be really hard to do, but if you follow the steps and you go through and you read, you'll see it. You can also reach out to me at some point, you know, and I can get you to the point. Start, but the key is, as a traditional artist trying to sell in that space, you want to alter your paintings digitally, enhance them, do something to them. Mm to make them truer digital works of art because it's almost like the digital artists didn't have a way to show their work in our traditional galleries. So they found a way to sell their art and to sell things that they wanted to sell digitally using the blockchain technology. Yeah. Well, here come us traditional artists along saying, well, we just want to take pictures of our paintings and sell them for millions of dollars too. You've got to do that already. You know what I mean? All the traditional paintings did get to do all that stuff. We finally found a way for digital artists to make money. So at least try to follow along if you can. You don't have to. If you're able to get somebody to buy a picture of your painting, that's fine. But you yeah. can change it. And I have. I fundamentally I worked with a with a friend, uh, Michael Lebson. He did the uh, the changes to my art. That's awesome. You know, like <laughs> we love his stuff. <laughs> yes, oh, yes, we he's talk great. about it all the time. Yes, yes, he's a he's a he's another. I consider myself crazy. He's another kind of crazy. <laughs> like the way that he's quite possibly one of the nicest human beings we know too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just one of those things you could never get. I want to see Mike Matt. <laughs> Does it even exist? Well, it's great. Yeah, maybe, we hang out all the time. Maybe if we have him on sometime and then we forget to hit record. Oh. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right. I wasn't mad at all. That was awesome. No, it was so cool. The only one mad right now is behind me. Oh. <laughs> She's like, "When's dinner? Oh, we're doing this again." Oh. Oh. Yeah, so it's. But don't worry. So the NFT, the whole you know, digital art thing is really cool. And I'll be hoping to to create a space where we can offer that as a service to other artists. And 
another way that also the work with the virtual galleries yeah, yeah. is now that you actually have a way that you could display those in a virtual space, mm-hmm. the NFTs, so people actually could walk into a virtual gallery and see them. There's a whole lot of, how are we showing people the opportunity to buy these digital yeah. things? Yeah. And yeah. they got to be built. Yeah. There's a, there's a famous communications theorist named Marshall McLuhan okay. who says the medium is the message. And <laughs> so if you're making something and putting it up digitally, right. you should either enhance it, make it in the first place or alter it right. to understand that. Hmm. And I, I love that you're doing that because it, it plays right into that and you'll there, see the yes. most success yes. through doing that. Just, we always have things that we miss out on. Right. And so I'm trying to tell people like, yeah. listen, did you miss out on Bitcoin? Yeah, you did miss out on Bitcoin. <laughs> did you miss out on this? Yeah. Did you miss out on that? Yes. You know, even like at some point in time, Amway was hot. Mm. You know what I mean? The pyramid scheme, the original pyramid scheme. Oh, I didn't get in on that whenever, when I could have been higher up, you know, and gotten more plebs to buy my stuff, whatever. <laughs> and when I would have made tons, right. I'd have been higher on the pyramid. That's how it is now with the NFT. I get it to a certain degree. It's a right? pyramid scheme. No. <laughs> <laughs> but more of what it is is it's uh it's it's the latest hottest thing and if you don't get in quick you're just going to end up with the rest of everyone else trying to get on board yeah but it's still quality is still quality but the idea is is creating value for something so mm-hmm. if you can generate value it doesn't matter if you know it's going to weed itself out but it's interesting to see how volatile the market is because it's an entirely new market. It's an entirely different yeah. market. They're already talking about silent crashes and stuff. They did the same thing with Bitcoin. You know, you see it blow yeah. up and you see it go down. Everybody thinks it's going to go away. Then Elon Musk throws $1.5 billion at it. And then you're like, okay, it's not going anywhere, you know, and that's cool. <laughs> and then, but Ethereum, it's a strong, I mean, I just bought some not long ago, meaning two weeks, not long ago. And it's was at 1570 when I got it. Now it's 22 today. $2,200. Nice. Per, but the, I still have 0.01165% you know, of one. But, yeah. but it's the idea that it's a decentralized currency. You know, it's something that you can buy. There are other problems with it. You know, worrying about people stealing your work and minting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things like that. But yeah, so as far as the prints on Sachi art, that's mm-hmm. a, a real easy way for people to get into something that I do. Yeah. I try to let people know it's really nice. If you go out there, you can find a print, you can hang it up. Remember, art doesn't have to match the couch. You know, just very true. Doesn't have to look like the house gallery. No, 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 no. And then for that, it doesn't either. You know, like they bring the couch in to match the art. You're right. (laughs) That's what's so cool. Everything is a is a set, and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then that thing at keep an eye out Facebook and and Instagram. Yep. Yeah, Kate Hughes been a great partner on that one. I can't wait to go further uh, and I should plug your uh, radio show. You know, Please. Uh, WXLV on iHeartRadio every Monday, 12 to three. It's really worth hearing her. She's, oh, she, there's some great stories. I love why, like I hung out with her over the weekend on first Friday mm-hmm. and something that happened, she gets to put on a radio show on Monday. So like if something funny happens when you're around her, it's oh, great because then she puts it on a radio show and you get to live through it again and you're like, <laughs> That was so cool. <laughs> I was there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much. And that was our interview with Tyrone Webb. Thank you so much, Tyrone, for coming in this week. Uh, ben, would you like to tell us a little bit about the content creator plans here at Steel Pixel Studios? Yeah, I would love to. So usually when you come to Steel Pixel Studios, we have a studio rental facility that includes 
photography and a videography space, as well as a podcast recording studio. That podcast recording studio is where we're currently at right now. If you'd like to run it by the hour, it starts at $70 per hour. We have COVID guidelines and safety regulations that we make sure are intact anytime that we have someone in here. And in addition to that, it includes an on-site audio engineer, a sound-treated room, and a couple high-quality microphones, the ones that we're using right now. But if $70 is a little steep for you, you find yourself wanting to be in here more often, we have a content creator plan that is $280 a month, includes eight hours of time in our studio, and that equates to 50% off our normal hourly rate. Our our photography and videography studio plan is very similar. Um, I believe it's actually over 50% off for that plan. So that's another great one to check out. If you want more information about it, want a consultation, or just want to check out the space, go to www.steelpixelstudios.com and reach out to us. We'd, we'd love to have you in here. That's a great deal. Yeah. And nice local, local Lehigh Valley space. Yes. Yeah. Our, our goal is to make a space that can be used by locals for locals and uplift their voices. Absolutely. Just like what we're trying to do on this show. That's what all the business is as well. Thank you everyone for listening in this week. Thanks Tyrone for, for coming in and we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week.